The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, and we are glad to be on the air live, live for the first time in a couple of weeks. Uh, Dr. Franklin Weefold in studio. How you doing, sir? Wonderfully today. Good. I uh, I have some great news for the listeners. Really? About me. But first, okay. we're going to talk to... We're going to talk to Claire and Raleigh. We're also going to talk today about some unre- what I thought were unrelated issues. You've been feeding me words here, and they don't belong together until... You know, you tell the story. Jardians <laughs> and kidney stones. Yeah, there's a new way, perhaps, and then, you know, don't run out and get some Jardians, to uh, decrease the risk of kidney stones. Coffee and kidneys. And um, this one I misunderstood for a moment. You said physician suicide. You don't mean assisted suicide no, like Kevorkian. It's, it's getting to be a serious, it always has been a serious problem. But it's getting to be more serious, and I want to talk about why and maybe what we can do to uh, make it better. Well, Claire in Raleigh, welcome to the program. How you doing, Claire? Hi, I'm doing fine. Hope you guys are. Yeah, we, we are. Yeah, what's up? Uh, Dr. Weefall, my question is not about the heart. That's okay. I have um, knee bone on bone, Ouch. osteoarthritis in my right knee. And uh, it's pretty painful. I've had a steroid shot, which really didn't seem to help. And that was three weeks ago. I have since heard about um, PRP. Are you familiar with the PRP? Yeah, platelet-rich plasma. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I actually, you know what, I used that um, when I was using doing pacemakers, believe it or not. PRP, yeah, PRP, what does that mean? So you draw your blood, and they have the special solution, and they put it in a centrifuge. You know those things they put astronauts in, you know, to check them out? Spin them around. Yeah, and as it centrifuges, the platelets are a certain buoyancy, okay? So they come out in the middle. And platelets are amazing things. They have all sorts of proteins and and cell signalers. Yes, I'm chewing my nicotine gum here. Easy for you to say. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell more about that a little bit. But anyway, and so it's got all sorts of rich nutrient, you know, things in it for growth of bones and stuff. So a lot of the baseball players, when they would get baseball elbow, I call it tennis elbow, they would, you know, take a break and they had to go to Europe originally. They'd fly out to Europe and get injections of their own platelets. These are not donors' platelets. They take your own blood and make them. And there is some evidence that it does help, um, mainly, number one, reducing the amount of inflammation, which you know is that that problem with your immune system being overactive. 
and creating pain through the swelling and all the bad humors in there. But um, I used it because it helped prevent um, hematomas. It helped clot the blood. Right. Okay. But in the knee, I think your problem is going to be why it doesn't help is because it's bone on bone. Okay. So, you know, they can reduce the amount of inflammation by putting in these plate, your own platelets. They inject them. But the problem that it sounds like you have is that you have no cushion, okay? So the menisci, there's a lateral one and a medial one. They're like cushions. So, I mean, Dave, you've, you've had a chicken leg, right? Yes. Yeah. So yes, you break I that, have. Yeah, you break that leg and you see that white stuff covering the bone? Sure. That's sure. the meniscus for a chicken. And we have them too. Right. And when they deteriorate, there's no longer a cushion that's preventing the femur bone, and the tibia bone from hitting each other. So the problem, and and I would have probably predicted that you'd only get some temporary relief from a PRP or platelet-rich plasma transfusion, is because as soon as you get up on that knee, it's going to start, you know, scraping bone on bone. Is there any solution other than a replacement knee? Yeah, some people... Um, inject uh, a, a gamish of um, sort of fake uh, artificial lubricants. Yeah. But I, in my practice, when I've sent people for that, I haven't seen that work either. So, again, I don't know your whole situation. Um, if you're contemplating having PRP, you might give it a try because, in, you know, in the right hands, it's not dangerous. Um, if it's not done correctly, I mean, think about it. You're taking your blood out of your body. You're putting it in a test tube. You're spinning it out and then you're taking it out of the test tube and then you're injecting it. So how many steps is that? That's a lot of steps. Yeah. And so what's the major risk is infection. If there is, you know, a non-sterile step in one of those steps, and some nasty bacteria gets in there, well, then they're going to inject that bacteria in your knee. Yeah. And so I think that's the major drawback. It, you know, you're going to get the, the risks, you know, when you sign the, the, um, the uh, permission Copy slip. Permission. Yeah, the consent. And it'll include infection. That's the biggest one. Pain, obviously, when they stick the needle in, although if they do it right, it doesn't hurt. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the jury is out um, I can't recommend that you either get it or you don't get it. But one of the things you can do, or if you've had it and they're thinking about doing it again, is just sit down with your surgeon and say, look, okay, what's the honest truth? Yeah. I got bone on bone. Yeah. Okay. You put this stuff in me and it may eliminate the inflammation that's there. Yeah. But I mean, when I start walking again, isn't that going to inflame it? Pardon? You still have bone on bone that's wearing and getting worse and worse. It's just going to start yeah. bone on boning again, you know. Um, my um, my daughter had some bone on bone yeah. in her foot because the cartilage dissolved. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of that syndrome. Yeah. Um, osteochondrosis or something like that. Sure. Okay. And so what they did in the foot was microfracture, okay? And what's that? They opened up her foot and they punctured with a little needle yeah. on the top of the bone. Yeah. And that regrew some cartilage. She had a little bit left, and it went away. But again, I'm not an expert in the knee. Um, but talk to your 
you know, are, are they talking to you about a, a knee re- replacement or no? Yeah, they gave me two options. Yeah. Well, three, actually. I asked them about the injection that involves the coxcomb. Yeah. Uh, whatever that is. Yeah. There's a name for it. And they said in their experience, it did not help bone on bone because you could not get in between the bones. Yeah. To where it needed to be. Um, and, of course, uh, the steroids, which I chose to get a steroid shot. Uh-huh. And, uh, lastly, surgery. Yeah. And uh, surgery has risk of infection, too. And and I have a history of things going bad with surgery. You know, Plus, it's a long recovery time. Um, I just did not know if the PRP offered any sort of remedy as far as yeah. a healing to some degree or a regeneration? It doesn't regenerate. That that I'm going to tell you right now. Um, okay. There's something called stem cells, and they're not available yet uh, for humans, right. but I got a testimonial on a horse. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. my ex's horse yes. um, got just her... her cartilage just melted away happens to horses i think yeah and um the vets at the north carolina uh, vet school said all right we're gonna regrow some cartilage here and i said what (laughs) and they they took the horse i actually took this is back when i was a a masculine horse driver horse truck driver (laughs) and i i got i I drew i took the horse down there and they they took out the horse's blood yeah and there's something called stem cells. And I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, heard a of stem it. cell is the precursor to everything. So right. when you grow new skin, it starts with a cell that doesn't look like skin at all. Okay, it's a, it's a baby cell. And it is induced by your body to grow into skin. Well, what they did um, was make some stem cells out of that uh, horse's blood and they injected them into the joint. Now, so PRP doesn't contain enough stem cells, your blood always has a little bit in there, to grow cartilage. But this was like a concentrated gamish that they actually, they, they grew the stem cells in the lab, so right. there was a whole bunch of them. And that horse grew back his cartilage. Now, there are a lot of studies about human beings and doing this too, yeah. but it's not been approved by the FDA. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. PRP has not been approved by the FDA either. Yeah, but sure, I guess they do it. Um, you know, there there are some, art, I'm going to tell you this, there are some articles um, that it's better than, PRP is better than hyaluronic acid, which is, you know, the um, thing to try to cushion. But it is in, it works in younger people who still have their menisci, at least some of the mm-hmm. meniscus. So um, let me tell you, um, a knee replacement is a good thing. And I'm, again, not telling you to have one. But let me tell you the most important thing about a knee replacement. Yes. It's who does it. Yeah. Okay. I'm telling you. Um, I don't want to give a free ad, but there is one guy in Raleigh who, I mean, they all do a good job. I mean, there's everybody who does a good job. But there's one guy in Raleigh who has a 100% rating. Yeah. One. Hundred percent. Yeah. 
I've already got my pen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to take you away from the surgeon you have because that's no, the most important thing. But but yeah. So what I can get at is ask your surgeon what's your ranking, and you can get it on the internet. Okay, uh, you can like, rankings of physicians who do knee replacements. Yes, and um, the reason why they rank them is it's by law, um, and it's a combination of success rates. Right. And okay. complication rates. And complication rates. I mean, you get an infected knee, and that's just, I mean, I got a guy getting his fourth knee replacement uh, no. because the first one got infected. The other thing is measuring is critical, okay? Because remember, you know, you got to get the, the distance between the tibia bone, which is the lower leg bone. Yeah. There's also a fibula next to it, sure. but it doesn't carry the weight. And the femur. You got to get that distance absolutely correct. I had a lady who used to work for me come out of the surgery, and the knee replacement was an inch. The knee replacement leg was an inch longer than her other leg. That's terrible. Well, I already yeah. have one leg that is longer than another due to scoliosis. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. So, so you could just you know, and I'm sure your surgeon's a good one. And, and if a surgeon won't tell you his rank. Right. It's because it's not good. Wow. <laughs> anyway, Claire, my you. buddies are ranked in yeah. in stents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're ranked number two and number three. Is this like a, um, you go into a restaurant, they got the thing that says 96%? Yeah. Objective rank is always better than subjective rank. Yeah. Okay, so if you look at Google and the doctor's got 4.8 stars. Yeah. And you got fives, 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 yeah. fives, and then a one. Yeah, that's you can ignore the one. Sure. Um, these rankings are objective. Now, um, there is some, you know, uh, caveat to that. Yeah. Because they don't always take into account risk of the patient. So, for example, I got a friend who's a cardiac surgeon in California. Yeah. He's the best surgeon I've ever met. Right. And he's the worst surgeon according to the Los Angeles Times. He does nothing but hard stuff. He does nothing but the hard stuff. Yeah. So his his rate of complication is 6%, and everybody else's is 0.5%. Yeah. But let me tell you, those 0.5%, if they did his cases, yeah. they'd be 20 percenters, okay? So these rankings, the knee is, is, is not so much dangerous in older people. It's dangerous in some other conditions. But if you want to look on, on the website, just type in on Google, rankings of knee surgeons by yeah. success and safety, and it'll pop right up. All right. Claire, we got to run. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that was helpful. That was very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Weepal. All right. Take care. We're going to talk about uh, coffee and kidney disease. Going to talk about a baby who, for a time, was refused a transplant. Heart transplant. A heart transplant. You probably are halfway guessing why, because it's in the shame segment coming up next on Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. Dr. Franklin Weefald here. And there was a baby, August Stoll, uh, who lives in Tennessee, but who was denied a heart transplant by, let's get this, is it 
Vanderbilt University yeah, Medical Vanderbilt. Center. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, yeah. um, I've not been, I don't want to use it angrier, um, disturbed yeah. by a medical story as much as I was disturbed by this. Okay. Yeah. Number one, um, what were they thinking? I mean, do you think this baby has been in intensive care yeah. for weeks, right? unvaccinated, is going to somehow expose everyone in the operating room to COVID and kill them? It's just ridiculous. It's unlikely, isn't it? Zero yeah. percent uh, chance. Right. Zero. Do you know how many? Do you know how many babies have died of COVID? Of COVID, COVID. I'm talking about yeah. COVID pneumonia, not just dying and testing positive for COVID. You know, that counts as a COVID death, sure, which sure. is ridiculous. But not a single baby in the United States of America has died of COVID. And so this baby will not, would not have survived, say, more than a couple months maybe without this heart transplant. Who's Already had some, Who did, who's The head no. surgeon. Really? Yes. The head surgeon. And the head surgeon, I'm going to tell you right now, was one of the main doctors in that area advocating that every single organism that crawls uh, out of the sewer get a, uh, you know, I'm being a jerk here, but every single human being has to have a vaccine, no matter what their age is. And there's a lot of controversy about that. It's not necessarily true, I don't think. And so just... And these parents were at wit's end. Both parents were vaccinated, okay? But wow. they didn't want to expose the baby to the risk of a vaccine in its condition because it's immunocompromised and, and so sick. Right. Well, thank God the ethics committee and upon multiple appeals um, allowed the surgery to happen with a different cardiac surgeon. So, wow. And... Uh, <laughs> I I just want to say I believe in vaccines. I've been double boosted. Yeah. I get any vaccine that is out there because I believe in vaccines. Um, But this situation was one of the worst things I've ever heard when it comes to the concept that you have to be vaccinated no matter what. Okay. And I'm so happy that the baby is doing well. We should mention Dr. Fauci, who is um, very sick. Well, and, and okay, so my daddy, and I've said this before, yeah. said that when you claim you're the be all and end all, and and you know you're the you're the final say on everything, like yeah. Fauci did with vaccines, right? That everybody should get vaccinated, every, even if you've had COVID, yeah, and everybody should get two boosters. Because I say so, and I'm science. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, he gets double boosted and gets COVID, and he gets Paxlovid, which is an excellent drug. Yeah. Paxlovid, you get for five days. It works by preventing the virus from infecting, you know, tissues. Well, there's something called Paxlovid rebound. Yeah. Okay, and it's something we didn't know about. And he got it. And so what happened? He went off Paxlovid and got sick again. He tested negative a couple of days after he had Paxlovid and then got sick about two days later, and this is a known thing. Um, And what I'm trying to say is that we're going to find out that the science that we were told about things was wrong. And this is a situation 
that was wrong. Paxlovid is not a cure, um, and there are complications. But the other interesting thing that nobody's talking about, yeah. double vaccinated people are at higher risk for Omicron. Really? Omicron. Is it Omicron? Really? Omicron. Omicron. I don't know. I want to say Omicron. Maybe omni- omnipotent or something like that. But anyway, and it's they think it's because when you're quadruple vaccinated, yeah. this is the vaccine that's only against or was developed against the first COVID. Yeah. Then yeah. we had Delta. Right. Then we have Omicron. And Omicron. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, now, Omicron variant number two and three and four. Sure. And so, if you only have antibodies and your immune response, the initial immune response is only against um, COVID A. Right. Then the COVID Omicron variants can escape. Right. And so, here we are now, um, after all these pronouncements. That science is science, and you have to believe me because I'm a scientist and I represent science. <laughs> Are they telling you, whoops, I was wrong? Right. No, they're not. So, I'm not saying not to get quadruple boosted. But what I'm saying is the latest studies have shown that those who are double boosted, quadruple vaccinated, have a higher risk for getting COVID now. There is a report also that he's on a second course of Paxlovid, okay. which ironically, is against the CDC's recommendation. Right. The, uh, you know. Yeah, and, but since, I, since he's science, well, he can do what he wants, because you know why? Why? He's making up the science as he goes. Okay. The other part of it is he is the patient. You know what I'm saying? Right. Sometimes you have to say, hey, I'm the patient. Okay, Give but me the what thing does that remind you of? What does that remind you of? What? Okay. Um hydroxychloroquine yeah 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 there were physicians losing their licenses for prescribing it right now the data has not shown that it is it it was as effective as everybody said it was in the beginning sure but what Fauci is doing is exactly the opposite of what he said we should not allow people to get hydroxychloroquine oh my gosh because and and, you know physicians are are allowed to use off-label purposes for medicine right but since I'm Fauci and I'm science, I'm going to go off label. Right. And it just drives me nuts. It does. Okay. Well, we're going to drive you nuts uh, the rest of the show. Okay. Talking about the <laughs> coffee and kidney disease that's coming up, weight loss, surgery. and Which doc- kind? What kind do you get? And Dr. Weefold's going to talk about the medical board. Hang on. Well, not we'll the medical board. I'm going to talk about something that has to do with the medical board. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefold. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Rose Hoban joins us from North Carolina HealthNews.org. Hi, Rose. How you doing? Hey, fellas. How are you? We're good. Your uh, lead story on the, the website is about the... Uh, the state budget mm-hmm. now has it been actually passed or is you just talking about a spending plan that hasn't quite been, been voted it in? Is, it was passed as of yesterday it I was put okay. a little update at the top so they they both both uh both the house and the senate managed to get it passed yesterday right. and um had their final votes i mean there really was not 
um, there was no, quite literally in the Senate, there was no debate. And there's very little in the area of health care, according to you. What did you expect? Uh, you know, I thought I might see, you know, like public health preparedness get beefed up, right? Yeah. Or um, maybe some sort of like training program or an incentive for people to go to public health school and work in local health departments or something. And and there was right. it was just it was nothing. I was I was really surprised. And, um, and the Medicaid expansion or it's not it's not happening right away, is it? No, no. So what happened was uh, need you know so. <clears throat> So this budget, yeah. right? Usually, usually what you do is like the House will start a budget process and they'll go through a bill and then they pass it and then yeah. they send it over to the Senate and the Senate marks it up and they amend it. And sometimes the Senate just takes all the language out and puts in their own ideas and yeah. they debate it and they pass the bill. And then, you know, meet and then the other side doesn't agree and it goes in the conference committee and they debate it behind closed doors. And then when it pops out, it's got all the compromised language in it. And then each chamber gives an up or down vote. Sure. Well, in this process, and this was one of this was the big complaint from Democrats, was that they kind of circumvented that by using an old bill. And they did what's called a gut and amend, which is you strip out all of the language and you... It was a bill that was already in conference committee. So they stripped out all the language and dropped in everything. And so it meant all that you were able to do was get an up or down vote on it. So it it was sort of like, I think Democrats kind of threw up their hands and were like, whatever, Um, because they couldn't really participate. And um, so... And then what was your question? Um, (laughs) Well, it wasn't a part of it. I mean... We're delaying, once again, Medicaid expansion, right. although right. people so, agree that it might very well get all the votes needed, right? Oh, oh, so yes. So thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. So a lot of folks thought, well, when this budget pops out, are we going to see Medicaid expansion in it? And it didn't happen. Yeah. So, and this is this is something, and I don't know if I've told you guys this, this story before, but when I first started at the legislature, I asked. You know, I was like, oh, you know, they're all Republicans. Or actually, back, this is back in the day. We're all Democrats. Like, yeah. why are they fighting? Right? And <laughs> and the, this person who was an old-timer uh, said, um, the other party is the opposition. The other chamber is the enemy. <laughs> yeah. So but what ends up happening is that the two chambers have different ideas about what they want in that Medicaid expansion package. So the Senate wants Medicaid expansion plus reforms to hospitals, which could undermine, which could chip away at hospitals' kind of hegemony over things like knee surgery and back surgery, right? Um, They want to add in what's called the SAVE Act, which would give advanced practice nurses more independent practice. They would allow them to uh, uh, a practice quote at the top of their license, as, as they say. Yeah. And um, there were a couple other things. There was some telehealth provisions. Uh, there was a sweetener for the hospitals, which is this federal program that actually brings hospitals more money. 
And the the downside for hospitals was that the Senate and the House, but the Senate said, okay, hospitals, you're going to benefit from having more patients who are insured under Medicaid expansion. So you folks pay the last 10% of the cost. Okay. The House side said, no, 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 no. We just want to do Medicaid expansion. And actually, they didn't even, they sort of passed a plan to make a plan. They said, we're going to give the Department of Health and Human Services the permission to negotiate with federal regulators. Yeah. And then when they come back with a plan that we like in December, P.S., after the election, um, we'll vote on on this plan. Right. And uh, and Speaker Tim Moore said, you know, and I can't guarantee that it'll pass, but I think uh, a majority of my chamber will will give it the thumbs up. Right. Now, but the House idea, none of the stuff about the nurses, none yeah. of the stuff about the hospitals. So it's pretty clear that there is some powerful interests that are opposing the haircut that would be given to the hospitals and right. the erosion of kind of, uh, Dr. Weefold, kind of like physician hegemony over primary right. care practice. Right. Um, and so, so, and what I was, what, we, I spoke to Senator Berger, the Senate leader, yesterday, right. and he said that the House has really not chosen to negotiate with the Senate over their plan, and that really the sticking point are those special interests, namely the hospitals and the medical society or, you know, organized medicine, yeah. <clears throat> which have, um, which have really dug their heels in and said, we're not negotiating our position at all. All right. Rose, and so have you, that's where we are. Have you mentioned to the people in Raleigh that even Dr. Weefald agrees that Medicaid should be expanded? <laughs> that Next time even, I speak to, to Phil Berger, I'll let him know that. I mean, he's he's... He's going to John Birch meetings and mentioning Medicaid Come expansion. Come on. He's, he is as right wing as I you want, can get. I want, uh, okay. I want you to know yeah. that I was a huge <laughs> liberal all through medical school and into all yeah. through the 80s. Yeah. Rose, I'm going to send you my picture of me <laughs> with hair down to my shoulders in the oh, wow. 70s. But listen, I really appreciate all you do. I got a suggestion for a story. (laughs) And that would be, has North Carolina really saved any money on Medicaid expenditures since they switched to the new managed care program? So that fiscal year 2002 is over. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon we'll have the data. And since we did this, and now I have three times as much paperwork. Uh You know, Rose, on all the Medicaid, uh, the new Medicaid, if I want to do, say, an ultrasound yeah. or a stress test, I have to get a prior authorization. And I'm telling mm-hmm. you, I had to hire a new person just to do these prior authorizations because they're so hard. Yeah. Guess how many were turned down, Rose? I have no idea. Zero. Okay, so all of my, all of the ones that I thought were necessary, mm-hmm. Medicaid mm-hmm. programs mm-hmm. thought were necessary, but mm-hmm. the cost on both ends to do this, mm-hmm. it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. So what I'd like to know, has the government of North Carolina, the people yeah. who pay the taxes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the federal government, because they contribute a lot, yeah. 
have we really saved money uh, by going so, to this new program? So, just to let you know, yeah, it it does not when you when you transfer Medicaid from fee for service to managed care, right? Yeah. Right, you have to get like a Medicaid waiver and you have to apply to the feds and stuff. They do not ask for savings; they ask for cost neutrality. Okay, and yeah. so it. it but every year, yeah, every year we've gone up, right? Sometimes five, six percent. Well, the question is, like, would we have gone up five, six? I, I'm, I'm just sort of like. Oh, I understand what you're saying. Not, the, the, the benchmark is not savings. The benchmark is like, is it? Would it be about the same? What the Senate kept saying was not so much that they wanted savings, but they wanted better management. And and again, this right. is what they said: they wanted better management and more certainty about what the cost would be in the coming year. But, you know, Dr. Weefel, that is a great story. But the numbers don't lie. I mean, you know, because they have to fund everything that Medicaid spent. They have to. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did they fund more with uh, this managed care or did they fund less? And that's a a great question. I'd love to explore that. I am, we're slogging our way through the budget now. In the budget, there is this thing called the Medicaid rebase, which is, you know, you have to, and part of that is not about like, just like costs going up, but it could also be uh, more patients, right? Because we still have all these extra patients on Medicaid who have been there because Congress told states at the beginning of the pandemic, don't kick anybody off of Medicaid, Right. right? You know, who qualify. The other thing is, um, I, I will say this, in the budget, there's always, there's always not just numbers in the budget, there's always bits of policy, and in my, but in my budget story, you'll see that one of the things that's policy in there is the ability for the state health director to create standing orders to do things like, like, like she was, at, well, it was initially, it was like back in 2015, was the first standing order to make it a to make naloxone, the, the opioid reversal yeah. drug, you know, available at any pharmacy yeah. without a prescription. Right? Well, listen, we got to run, so, but the, I, I, I'm i not making this an assignment, but <laughs> no, it would be a great story. Idea. And let me, let me just tell you one thing. Idea. One of my patients was a state senator. And a couple years, I think it was either the year before or maybe yeah. two years before, under the old system, Medicaid expenditures in one year dropped $300 million. Yeah. So my thought was, why are we switching if we're already cut, you know, saving money? Right. So anyway, I'd like uh, to know. I mean, uh, you know, inquiring minds want to know. Well, just, just one other quick thing before we go. Yeah. Before, back in like the, the aughts yeah. and like up to like 2013, North Carolina Medicaid had the slowest year over year growth in costs. Right. Like it was like one, it was like the third slowest year over year cost. Of any state in the country. So right. why did we switch? <laughs> That's a really good question. You need to go back and read my coverage of the fight over Medicaid transformation. I will. Back to 2015. Thank you. 2015. You Gross, have a great day. what we wrote. Love you. All right. Talk to you folks later. Have right. a great Bye-bye. Day. Bye-bye. It's uh, NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. And Rose Hoban, thank you very much. 
Uh, our number is 919-860-9783, and George and Carrie dialed this up. Hi, George. Good morning. Hey. Morning. What's going on? I am 79 years old. I'm one of those idiots who didn't have enough sense not to make a... Uh, anyway, I got a cold and I took a... Uh, what, did you, what did you take that somebody didn't... I took an antihistamine with high blood pressure. Uh, antihistamine, and he's got high blood pressure. Okay, yeah. So okay, that's a good result, question, George. So I wound up catching all the water in the world I could, and I got enough in my body. I was, okay. Every time I laid down, I tried to drown. Oh, my. Lays down, he does what? Tries to drown. Oh, okay. Did you get a lot, of, a lot of liquid in your lungs, is what you're telling us? They yeah. took, I think they took a gallon out of me when they got me to the hospital. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so you went to he went to the hospital. He went to the hospital. They removed a gallon. Oh my god. Flew it off. Had it. you had a history of heart failure? No, I had a fantastic heart. Hmm. I, I got a, I got a, an MRI and it said I had two little things in the bottom of my heart that were something need to be watched. Then I took the antihistamine and it yeah. I had to watch it big time. Yeah, that's a um. That, that's a rare thing. Uh, most of the people who get in trouble in antihistamines have lung disease. And believe it or not, it's yeah. the way an antihistamine works is that it affects what we call the mast cells. And the mast cells produce histamine, which is what makes us, you know, you know, runny yes. nose yeah. and stuff like that. Um, the number one thing to avoid would be an antihistamine that has a decongestant in it. So it's like Claritin yeah. D um, because that can spike someone's blood pressure. Um uh, tremendously, oh, it, did. it did. It it went off like it went off the uh, gauge. My daughter took my blood pressure. So, does yours have? Was it plain antihistamine, or did it have a decongestant in it? I probably had a decongestant. Oh, it did or did not? I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know. He said yeah. it probably did. Yeah. So that it, you know, again, I don't know your medical history or anything. Um, the regular antihistamines, you know, Benadryl, Claritin, they're pretty safe. Um, and I guess you know. If if it did contain a D, then it might have uh, been you know either jacking your heart rate up or constricting your arteries and calling it, causing a spike in the blood pressure. But you know the bottom line is don't take any more. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the few things my daughter said. She said a lot more because she's an Orient. Oh yeah. Uh, but the question is, yeah, she's got cancer. She's got cancer. The doctor I had has 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 has. Yes. Has has given me, I think about eight or different, nine different pills to see if they can regulate my heart. Right. There's a little bit of uh, calcium in those two veins I mentioned, and they're trying to get it out. All right. However, in the last six weeks, I've lost 35 pounds because I can't eat and keep anything down. Oh, my. Oh, my gosh. Now, yeah. are, you're on some new medicines. And do you think is it is it as a result of Could those be, medicines? Yeah. That, yeah, that's the first is. thing I it would is. do is check and and see, you know, how many of these medicines you really need, and and try to find out which one is making you sick because that certainly can happen. You know, as you get some new medicines, and now you're sicker than you were before. So I would get your doctor on Tuesday, and and talk about the medicines you're taking and whether. Number one, you need him, and number two, you might need something like that, but it won't make you sick. She's done. 
I've already talked to her. She's experimenting. Yeah. But truthfully, and I know you can't you can't go over another doctor's head, but is it necessary to take all these blooming pills? Is it necessary to take all these blooming pills? Uh, it can be, yeah. uh, but also it can't be. One of the things I really enjoy doing, and I hate to use the word enjoy, is having a patient come to me for a second opinion, right. taking 11 medicines, right. and within a couple months they're on three. You know, yeah. and so um, less medicine is always better. Um, but sometimes you got to take a bunch. I take four. How many do you take, Dave? I I, I can't tell you. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I take at least nine separate yeah prescriptions, but some of them not every day. Yeah, Georgia, it's yeah. Not, uh, Georgia. I'm gonna jump in and just put in my two cents. Are they on? Do you have multiple blood pressure pills? In other words, sometimes yeah. you get you get prescribed for one kind of blood pressure, and then they give you nothing, something for something else. Isn't that right, doctor? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, and I'm then, on and, multiple. You know, and sometimes one doctor will add one, another doctor will add another one, or right. another doctor will add another one, and um, that's why it's so important. As an aside, is you always get a bag and throw every pill you got in it with yeah. any physician yeah. appointment. Yeah. Because, uh, I, only, I only see one doctor. Only see one doctor. He only I'm sees not, one I'm doctor. Not gonna, I'm not going to have somebody say, uh, well, you know, he shouldn't have done that. Yeah. yeah. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. It is not unusual to be taking those me- that many blooming pills. It is not. <laughs> All right. All right, check check doctor. with your doctor with as your doctor. soon as you can. He and said that I'm 79. I've been the only thing I take is a pain pill for two two yep. replaced knees. Yep. Otherwise, that I'm a healthy as a horse until I decide it's time to get the antihistamine. Right. Stay away from the antihistamine. Thank you, George. You got it. You got All to right. have fun. Got to run. This is uh, the uh, Heart Health Radio Network. Heart Health Radio on the air. We're going to talk about ki- coffee and kidney disease. Is coffee good for you now? It's real. Uh, the more I, I haven't seen a coffee is bad for you article in good. so long. That's great. That's coming up next. This is Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me wanna kick my heels up and down. This is Heart Health Radio, also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Who's Jennifer Ratty? Jennifer, we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, her um, situation was very unique. Came to see me because she had a slightly weak heart. Yeah. And the complicating issue was that she had rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. And so she went to a couple heart doctors and they said, we think it's your rheumatoid arthritis medication. These new ones that are injectable yeah. and they prevent inflammation and they really help. Um, and the reason is there was like a little warning on the label of the medication saying may cause heart disease. Yeah. Guess what? No studies ever showed that. So when they put it on the label, it was a quote unquote theoretical thing. Yeah. So for a year and a half, she had no medicine for rheumatoid arthritis. Hurt, hurt, hurt. Yeah. So she comes to see me, and her heart on my ultrasound was a little weak. It was a little bigger. Well, here's the good news. Yeah. Um, wrote a little permission slip and said, put her back on her 
rheumatoid arthritis <laughs> mad. To the to the and, other doctor. Yeah, and she's yeah. on the right things for her heart. Um, she had a little atrial fibrillation, which you know sometimes can weaken a heart too. Well, here's the good news. Yeah, her ultrasound is much better already. Yeah, and I put a monitor on her, and there's no more atrial fibrillation. So I went and looked, you know, well, I didn't have to look because I'd seen the study before. Right. And guess what they say now? What do they say now? <laughs> People on rheumatoid arthritis medicines like hers have a lower risk of heart disease. So <laughs> there's two lessons here. Number one lesson is get a second opinion. Right. Even a third opinion. Uh, the next lesson is, um, and I hate to say this, is Google it yourself. Yes. Okay. And, and then the next lesson is for physicians is keep up you know really yeah don't you know don't learn something and think that that's the end of your learning because all these things that you know it's, it's i hate to point it out again but all these things that we think we know yeah that aren't based on um scientific studies uh wind up not to be true a lot of them like right. testosterone and, and people with heart disease I mean, I, I got so many family physicians. Why does Dr. Weefall have a testosterone? That'll kill you. You've had a heart attack. And it's because uh, you were taught in medical school in the 80s and I guess the 90s that you shouldn't have testosterone because theoretically, you know, it'll turn you into the Incredible Hulk and you'll have yeah. anger issues right. and acne and it'll kill your heart. When they finally did the studies and they showed that people, men, obviously, who were low in testosterone and had heart disease when their testosterone was appropriately supplemented, i.e. you followed the levels, you followed the patient, they had a lower risk. So hats off to Jennifer, um, and may God bless her and keep her her healthy. Coffee and kidney disease, or kidney stones, right? No, there's another story on kidney stones. Oh, there is. Sorry. Turns out if you drink two cups of coffee a day, you have a 20 to 30% risk of going into kidney failure. I don't know why, but the study wasn't... Do I have that risk or a less risk? Less, 20 to 30% less risk of kidney failure. Oh, okay. So it's not one of those studies where they gave, you know, 10,000 people fake coffee... Because you can't make fake coffee. Even if you take the caffeine out of it, it's yeah. coffee. Yeah, it's coffee. Um, but they went back and looked at people who had kidney disease and who drank coffee and who didn't drink coffee. Yeah. And um, the ones who drank coffee had a much lower risk. 30% is a lot when you talk about effects on health. Yeah. You know, that's cutting your risk in third. So, I and like I said, I you know we used to on this show every week we'd had a coffee is going to kill you story and then yeah. a coffee is uh, bad for you. I mean, good for you story. And now all I'm seeing is good for you stories. Okay, that's a great thing. Coming up on this program, we're going to talk about two life changing incidents or decisions on your part. Yeah, I, I, I want part, everybody to know, and yeah. and one on my part. Because people are saying, where was Dave? Where were Dave and Frank last week? I had COVID. And I went into the, the, I had some treatment and it worked out good. We'll talk more about that coming up.
Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, Dr. Franklin Weefald in studio, happily nicotine-free. Yeah? Well, cigarette-free. What about it? Me? You. I'm not nicotine-free. You're not nicotine-free. But I'm cigarette-free. Good for you. Yeah, um, a couple reasons. Um, well, actually, there's a main main reason is I wanted to quit. I wanted to be a, a former smoker Yeah. for a long time. Um, let me tell you right now, though. I yeah. really enjoy smoking. Yeah. yeah. I really do. I mean, yeah. it's a pleasurable activity. Um, I like the way it feels in the lungs. Uh-huh. And, um, but, you know, there's a 15% chance um, of getting cancer. Now, I, you know, let's be honest. Not every smoker, in fact, the minority of smokers get lung cancer. Um, and non-smokers get lung cancer. So, sure. you know, if you hear somebody has lung cancer, don't immediately think it's because they were smoky and that it's, quote, unquote, their fault. Right. Um, the second reason is to be an example. Um, and I think it's very important to be a good example to my patients. And I quit for six years at one point in time and did fine and then had a very stressful event. Um, and went back to it, and yeah. it did help. Nicotine is a drug. It is self-medication when you smoke. Yeah. Uh, it helps to calm people. Some people don't respond to nicotine at all. That's why it's easy for them to quit, because they have no nicotine withdrawal. And the interesting thing about me, too, is that I flew to Hawaii, you know, 18 hours on a plane. Yeah. Didn't feel bad at all. Okay. You know, so there was no nicotine withdrawal. But let me tell you the real reason I quit, and um, it has to do with one individual, one person. Now, we all know that um, when a family member gets cancer and they lose their hair from chemotherapy, what's one of the best things you can do to support that patient? You shave your head. Yeah. I mean, you see that all the time, right? Yeah. You know, the whole family, they get on YouTube and, you know, the, the... mom or whoever's losing her hair and and she doesn't like the way it looks and so they get together and they shave her head as a sort of ritual we're you know getting into this and then all of a sudden the woman turns around she's tearful because she's lost all her beautiful hair yeah and her husband is shaving his hair off right right and it's a great thing i mean it shows that you're willing to do things that you don't want to do to show support for somebody who's going through a hard time. So Stevie, if you're listening, Stevie Collier is one of my patients who's been around a long time and he's done well, he's had some heart issues, but he could not quit. And he started smoking, he was seven years old. I mean, that's Johnston County. Wow. That's North Carolina. I mean, this was Tobacco Road. And um, his lungs couldn't take it. I mean, he's one of those individuals and my mother smoked two packs of cigarettes, unfiltered for 70 years, had no lung problems. So yeah. let's not lie. Not everybody gets illness uh, from, an illness from smoking. But he did. And, you know, he just he wanted to quit for his health reasons, but he just, you know, couldn't quit. This is right. just his life. Right. He got real sick. I'd been seeing him, you know, every other day, getting him treated on multiple antibiotics. Um, he had a lung cancer scare. Turned out not to be lung cancer. But he got admitted to the hospital for about two weeks. 
um, for you know really bad lungs. I mean, they he was on oxygen and it didn't yeah. didn't look good. Yeah, but he made it, and he came to see me. Looked better. His lungs sounded a whole lot better. And he said, "You know, I haven't had a cigarette in 27 days." And I said, "Well, how you doing with it?" And he says, "Well, you know, I got a little bit of gum and everything, but let me tell you, just about every waking moment." And want a cigarette. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I looked at him and I said, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to quit. Good for you. Not for me, but for you. Yeah. And so, you know, add to a powerful method of smoking cessation. Uh, I'm wearing a patch, um, not a big one, you know, the, the, the smallest one, the seven. Yeah. And then I'm chewing this gum. And let me tell you something. Yeah. Nicorette gum tastes good now. I mean, Nick, I tried nicotine gum a long time ago, and it was just yuck. But Uh it tastes good. It's got a fruit flavor to it. Uh, You don't want to chew the whole thing right away, okay? (laughs) I mean, you're going to get, I got a nicotine hit from chewing it and chewing it and chewing it. You're supposed to chew a little bit, put a little bit between your cheek and gum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know what that's from, don't you? Skull. Yes, yes, yes. Smokeless tobacco. I don't recommend smokeless tobacco because there is a risk of mouth cancer from that. But a nicotine gum, I can endorse. And the patch, you know, just it's, it doesn't uh, really give you the hit yeah. of nicotine, but um, it helps. Anyway, there's a third reason, I mean, a third mechanism for smoking cessation, What's and that? that is doing it for someone, yes. okay? So um, I did it for Steve um, because I want him to know how much I care about him and that if he's suffering from going uh, abstinent from cigarettes, well yeah. then, dang it, I'm going to suffer along with you. Good and I you. even told him, I said, if you had cancer and had a bald head, I'd shave my head too. Oh my. And it worked. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you're out there and you want to quit smoking, and let's say you have a grandchild, yeah, quit for her or him. Yep. Uh, if your spouse um, wants you to quit um, because she loves you or he loves you and doesn't mm-hmm. want to see you with that 15% chance of lung cancer, then quit for your spouse. Um, but it's a powerful incentive because I would feel really terrible if I went back on my word yeah. for Steve. Right Now there's an, an uh, 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 additional thing I wanna mention. Yeah. And that I think Biden and the FDA are making a big mistake. Um, as you know, they're gonna get rid of menthol. Now, I, I never smoked menthol. <laughs> But menthol seemed to be an additional addictive for cigarettes. Okay. But now what they want to do is reduce the amount of nicotine yeah. in the cigarette. Yeah. Now, the smoke is um, part of it in, in terms of what made me uh, like smoking. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, the nicotine affected my brain and calmed me. But I smoked unfiltered cigarettes, and the reason why is they had a high nicotine content. Now, what does that mean? Sure. I'd have a little lucky strike, and I'd take three hits, and I'm fine and throw it away. Yeah. If if I see these people smoking ultralights, and I ask them, okay, you switched to ultralights because you thought it was better for you. Are you smoking more now? He says, heck yeah, I got to smoke two packs a day where to get uh, the same feeling right. as I did uh, from one pack a day of a, uh, of a cigarette that had higher nicotine content. Right. So there's some controversy. Um, The government doesn't believe that's true. Um, The government doesn't think that you will smoke more if you you have lower nicotine. 
and I hate to have the study post hoc. In other words, find out that when they cut the, the amount of nicotine in the Marlboro Reds, that's what everybody smokes in my practice. Yeah, Marlboro Reds. It's got yeah. a red box on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red top on the box. Uh, I hate to find out that we have an increase in lung cancer because we reduce the amount of nicotine. Um, and I, I'm worried about that. I can't, I'm not Mr. Science when it comes to this, okay? I don't know. Right, right. But I think that if you're going to try to get people to stop smoking, you have to have a different way to do it. And, and my personal experience um, was wanting to quit because of the health potential negatives. Right. Um, you know, realizing that I need to be example. So, you know, for example, like, um, a father example to his kids not smoking. Right. But also um, doing it for someone you love um, right. and, and trying to be a better person um, and supporting somebody um, who may be worried that their dad's going to get cancer Right. Or, you know, someone who is struggling to quit and you're going to say, I'm going to quit for you and we'll do it together. Right. But taking the nicotine out of cigarettes or, or, or taking more nicotine out of cigarettes doesn't seem to me like the right thing to do. Anybody who likes coffee would understand this. I accidentally bought the coffee that has 50% of the caffeine. Right. You drink more. I, and I just drank more. Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much, but I kept drinking more. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, that's a good thing for you. I, I'm, I appreciate that. I'm and, and, you know, out there um, when you're, you're thinking, yeah, I may have relapsed. Um, and, yeah, there may be a time when I'm really stressed out and yeah. I may grab one and smoke one. Um, but I really think I'm going to do it this time. Good. Um, and I'm, I'm really encouraged. If you're out there and you're having trouble quitting, or if you have questions about the safety of tobacco, call us. Yeah. Because um, I'm honest. I, I, there are people out there who can smoke and have no cancer yeah. and no lung problems because they have a genetic background and makeup where they repair their lungs uh, yeah. that are damaged very quickly. The people who get cancer have a genetic predisposition to not repair their DNA when it is damaged by the poisons in smoke. And that also makes them more susceptible if they live in New York and if they live in, in Chicago. Right. Because living in those cities is equivalent in terms of what you inhale in carcinogenic products to smoking five cigarettes a day. That's yeah. proven. Yeah. And the risks of lung cancer in those areas um, is, is higher uh, and equivalent to the risk of people who smoke you know, that's a quarter of a pack in case you don't know. You didn't know how many cigarettes in a pack, did you? I have you? no earthly idea. Yeah, yeah 20. Uh, how much? 20. It, how much is a pack selling for now? Well, the ones I smoke, or excuse me, Used to. smoke, it was a Rush Limbaugh. And my formerly nicotine-stained hands. <laughs> I never got nicotine-stained my, my, or smoking-stained. My mom did. Oh, my God. They were, like, obvious which fingers she used to smoke. But um, it... it it, um, you know, just is one of those things where, you know, you have a desire to right. get a certain flavor right. and a certain thing. And so I smoke these things called Lucky Strikes. Now, the reason why I got hooked on Lucky Strikes, the real reason, is I'm a big World War II buff. And so I, I watched this show <laughs> called Band of Brothers. Have you ever right. seen it? Right. 
Right. And so the enlisted men, this is a true story now, yeah. enlisted men got a carton of camels. That was, you know, they got their K-rations and they got their Coca-Colas and they got a carton of camels. Yeah. And cigarettes became a commodity. So if you didn't smoke, you made money because yeah. you could sell those cigarettes to other soldiers. I mean, if you're in a foxhole yes. and you're worried about the next bullet's going to have, you know, your number on it, uh, smoking helped. Um, and a lot of people who never smoked, when they got in the foxhole, they said, give me the cigarette. But anyway, so the officers got lucky strikes. And I was very impressed by the way they looked. It's a white pack <laughs> with a red symbol, and it had L uh, SMFT on it. Yeah. You know what that meant? No. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Uh-huh. And so they tasted real, their taste real because they're toasted tobacco. Okay. Oh so it's not just plain old tobacco that's right. been no, 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 smoked. No. It's, it's no, there's a difference. Fancy it it wasn't as harsh. Yeah. Okay. But when I first started, they were $9 a pack. Uh-huh. And now they're 14 and when I was in New York a year, no, two years ago before the pandemic, I searched and searched and searched for Luckies. Good. And I found them. They were $27 a pack in New York City. $27 wow. a pack. Yeah. You could buy individual cigarettes on the corner in New York City. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got a cigarette for you. And you'd pay two bucks and I'd give you a smoke. You know? Unbelievable. All right. Well, I'm glad you're saving money too. All right. This. This is Heart Health Radio. We've got uh, some stories about weight loss surgery. I want to update us on monkeypox. And if we have time, tell my story of COVID. I went and got treatment. I'm feeling good. Um, That is coming up. 919-860-9783 is our number. Call between noon and 2 on a Saturday, and we'll be here. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. I've forgotten what we promised to talk to you about. I want to know about your COVID experience, recent COVID experience. Okay, so I went home early from my normal job, my weekday job, on Wednesday, a week ago Wednesday. And I called up and I, I, I had a telehealth appointment with my doctor. He said, no, we're going to send you to Wake Med to get an infusion. Now, I do not qualify for this Paxlovid, Paxlovid pill. Uh-huh because of some other health conditions. Yeah. So they gave me something that was, they say infusion, but it's really just an injection. They set up an IV in the arm and they they put a bunch of medicine in me. They put, by way of the IV, it's Bebtelo something. Yeah. Bebtelovimab. Yeah, Bebtelovimab. Okay, so. And so it's the newer um, monoclonal antibody, yeah, which had a fe- efficacy against Omicron. Okay, and it it's really great. I, there's a I wish I knew the guy's name at Weight Med. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, um, he runs the program, and um, I've had four or five patients who were getting you know pretty sick. I mean, not yeah. hospital sick. Um, and then third or fourth day, they got the infusion, and I'm telling you, 
24 to 48 hours later, they were symptom-free. Really? Yeah. I mean, how, how long did it take you to get better? A day? Yeah. Re- a day? Yeah. I, I, I can't judge whether I've got the fog, right? The confusion? Uh, you're confused Other, 24-7, I, exactly okay? exactly right. Yeah. That people have to, it's a sliding scale, and I'm way down on the left-hand side of the sliding scale. But um, all the other things disappeared within 24 hours. I had headache, a headache. Oh, did you have a headache? L- what were your symptoms? Massive headache, massive achiness, and they melted away in a day. Uh-huh. So, uh, but, but, you know, I was on, I'm on quarantine from my other work. Uh-huh. They, w- they want 10 days. Wow. 10 days, yeah, that's too much. Who referred you, or you just knew from the show? Because we had talked about this earlier. Who referred me to? To get the infusion. Oh, or did you just regular, call yourself? My regular doctor. Yeah. Right. We did a telemedicine. He said, yeah. We're, we're, and, and I think. Well, I, that's a good doctor. I had a, uh, I had a COVID test on a week, again, week ago Wednesday. So. Yeah. Oh, I got this guy's name. What's that? David Kirk. David Kirk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. David Kirk at Wake Med. If you get COVID and you're documented to have COVID, yeah. call Wake Med. They have people there who will talk about your symptoms, talk about your background, and they'll tell you whether um, you qualify. I don't want to talk about the qualifications on the radio. There are a few, um, but I'd rather have, if you you get COVID, talk to these experts at WakeMed. You can call the, uh, I'm going to give you the number, 350-8000, 350-8000. That's the main operator telling me you have COVID. I'm going to talk to the people who can help you with getting an infusion if you qualify. Yeah, they do it in the emergency department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you barely go. Well, to the in last fact, one. I've had several people just. I say go to the ER. Yep. You know, and uh, they're really wonderful there. Good people, and um, they do a great job. Great job. Should we be concerned about monkeypox? No. Okay. And you know, I'm not a big fan of the World Health Organization um, because I think that's a political organization. Yeah. Um, they're funded by uh, Communist China. And uh, they have always taken the side of protecting them. Yes. Although, did you hear they even, uh, this it wasn't in the news. Yes. About two weeks ago, they said we should reinvestigate whether it came from the lab. And I was about had a heart attack. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, the next day, yeah. you didn't hear any more about that. But the, <laughs> the World Health Organization has said that monkeypox is not, not an OT a public health emergency. Yes. Um, they had a, a outbreak in P-Town, Provincetown, yeah. and uh, they had to do with a gathering of uh, men. Yes. And I don't know if you know about Provincetown. Um, it does appear to be a sexually transmitted disease. Right. So um, uh, I just think that if you're at high risk, maybe, if you've been to Provincetown, uh, or you've been to similar gatherings, right. um, you need to be more careful and more aware. Um, it, it it just doesn't kill you, okay? And this, I just hope and pray that the vaccine people in the United States government, um, a.k.a. Fauci, don't decide that everybody needs to get a monkeypox vaccine. Because hey, I'm going to tell you, I believe in vaccines. I ain't getting this one. Yeah. Because I, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm just not worried about monkeypox. Is now, it the same as uh, the six sp- months from now? Yeah. If I'm wrong, I'll tell you I'm wrong. Sure. 
But when you talk about uh, how much it's spread so far, yeah, it really hasn't spread much. I mean, yeah, it's traveled from country to country, yeah. but you're not seeing uh, an epidemic, a pandemic from monkeypox. Is it the same as the smallpox well, vaccine? But, uh, yeah, um, and I've had it, and you've had it. Yeah, um, but I, I just don't see it. Okay, just don't see it. All right, you mentioned that physician suicide is a big deal. Well, I and I'm going to talk about this from personal experience. Okay. Yeah. Um, what we do is is now an extremely stressful. And I'm not just talking about taking care of sick people. In fact, taking care of sick people for me wasn't stressful. Um, I would say in the in, when I first started practice in the 90s and the is it called the aughts now, the 2000s? Yeah. What was stressful to me was lack of sleep. Okay, I'm just one of those people who needed 10 hours of sleep, and yeah. it drove me crazy, but not depressed, uh, right. crazy. Um, the the concept that physicians kill themselves more frequently is true. Um, I think you, you, part of it is, you know, who goes into medicine? People who are very smart in general, mm-hmm. very driven, very goal-oriented, and um, there's a lot of imposter syndrome. You know what that is? Mm. That's when, you, you know, you've been pushed to be a doctor because, you know, your, your mom wanted you to be. That's me. Mm. And you're constantly afraid that you're going to be exposed as being not as competent as you should be. Yeah. So if you make a mistake, for example, right? I mean, that just drives you crazy because you think, um, oh, my God, they're going to finally know that I'm really not a good doctor, you know, because I have this imposter syndrome. Um, but the medical board and other uh, organizations, the American Medical Association, my organizations, American College of Cardiology, yeah. are now saying we're we're seeing an uptick, and what can we do about it? And I think I'm gonna say this: yeah. I think they're part of the problem because now, as physicians, we're no longer Marcus Welby. Um, right. We're those crazy people on the other shows. Um, what what are some other medical shows now? Grey's Anatomy. You know, right. we're all drug addicts and stuff. Yeah. And we're not looked upon as being good people. And also, now we're graded on our paperwork and not our patient care. All right. That's, we'll take that up. This is Heart Health Radio. Now back to Heart Health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts or at um, uh, Spotify, pretty soon, wherever you get uh, podcasts. Uh, the doctor has stepped, off, uh, stepped out for just a little bit. We'll talk, talk with him in just a moment. I encourage you to call us up, 919-860-9783, 919-860-9783. There's a story, doctor, about a woman in the U.K., who was 90 years old, fell and bumped her head. She actually was on anticoagulants. She bumped her head. Of course, she need to be hospitalized yeah. in this circumstance where if you're on anticoagulants and yeah. you crack your head because you could have bleeding, she was in the hallway for 30 hours. Yeah, and, and you know, I hate to keep harping on this issue, but... 
Um, yeah. I really don't think that would happen in the United States of America. This was this was in England. Okay. And you know they call it um, they call the uh, offices surgery. Did you know that? I went yeah, to surgery. Yeah. yeah. And they call um, the emergency rooms uh, the accident room, you know, A&E accident and whatever. And so I I think that socialized medicine means that there are cutbacks. And socialized medicine can be very good for a lot of people because there's no out-of-pocket costs. You just walk in and you get treated. But you go to an emergency room and... You know, they're going to have fewer staff. Right. They're going to have people running around all over the place. Right. And, you know, oh, I bumped my head. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get to you, you know. And you can be very lucid and just saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm here because I bumped my head. And I'm on, about to say an coagulant. And they say, yeah. okay, put her in room 10 over in the corner. And they don't hear the whole story. Right. So there's two things. If you take your grandma who's 90, or your great-grandma who's 90, and she's on something, for example, AFib, or even if she's on an aspirin tablet, um, as we get older, our connections of veins uh, between the brain and the covering of the brain become fragile. And so even a a simple head bump can turn into a disaster in that kind of situation. And uh, that's why, you know, if I have a patient who slipped and fell, and, you know, they, they don't even, or they say they didn't even hit their head. Right. Because they may not know because of this calamity of falling and your hip yes. you know, lands first and that's what's broken and all this other stuff. No, I, I check them for head bleed. Right. And don't be afraid to be your own advocate. Um, if you're waiting, you know, 30 hours uh, if you're waiting three hours and yeah. you've had a head injury, you know, raise some cane. Yes. And and don't be afraid to, you know, in a very calm manner, walk up and say, listen, I'm concerned. My mother's 90. She's on an anticoagulant. She hit her head. We've been sitting here. I'm, I need a CT scan. Right. And if you say that, <laughs> yes, then they're going to do it. The squeaky wheel always gets the grease. Now, don't, be angry um, when you talk to the people in the ER. Yes. Um, try to be as nice as you can be. Ask, because like anybody else, yeah. when you're you know overworked and somebody's you know talking to you in a nasty manner, yep. it's human nature to say, yeah, eh, eh, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, be your own advocate. Be an advocate for your, for your family, but be, be really nice. Bob in West Raleigh, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Hi, Bob. Hey, guys. How you doing? We're doing all right. I've got uh, a couple of questions. Sure. Doctor there. Uh, yes. Uh, both vascular situations. I have a aortic aneurysm that was diagnosed about four years ago, maybe. Sure. And annually, I have an ultrasound just to keep it monitored. Yeah. It, it remains stable over all that time at 2.1. I had my annual test done just recently. I get the RAD report, and there's a couple of unsettling items. Yeah, sure. That I wanted to run by you. Do it. I'll give you the softball one first. Left common iliac artery is very tortuous. 
torturous. That comes with age, but the very is what gave me a little rush. He's he's concerned because the word very is yeah. in there. Okay, so what's torturous mean? Tortuosity is like a corkscrew. So um, I don't know what's a what's a common food that we uh, uh, what's that called? Rotini. Sure, yeah, the, the something. Okay, so it's a you know the piece of pasta that's a corkscrew. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Now, does that necessarily mean anything bad? The answer is no. Um, very tortuous just means that it's got three or four loops, and that is something that happens to people uh, more so when you have high blood pressure because that artery is um, being expanded more frequently and. The artery can just sort of, you know, uh, have less elasticity in certain places and more elasticity in other places, and sort of just turns into a corkscrew. Let me tell you, it, it's a bad. It's bad for a cardiologist when the patient's artery is a corkscrew. Really? Yeah, because when you go in the leg, the iliac artery. I'm sorry, goes from uh, the groin. Yeah. To underneath the belly button. Sure. Okay, inside. Yeah. Uh, that's called the iliac artery, and then it joins the aorta. And if it's a corkscrew, you got to get that straight catheter yeah. up in th- around the corkscrew. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, for me, uh, it's it's not good. The, the things to be concerned about if it's on the report is whether there's an aneurysm also in the iliac artery. And what's an aneurysm? An aneurysm is when the uh, connective tissue, um, which is the... To tissue that provides the stability and the strength of the artery. There's an inside called the endothelium, and that just protects clots from forming. There's an outside called the adventitia, which is just a covering. The strength part is the um, the connective tissue, and in an aneurysm, that gets loose. I mean, that gets lax and it bulges out. Okay. And that could be dangerous because as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they can burst. Or because they're so big, the inner part, the endothelium, gets weak and it can split off. Okay. And that's called a dissection. And that could be bad because as it splits off, it can block off other arteries. So if it said very torturous but didn't say that there's an aneurysm in it or cholesterol buildup in it, don't worry about it. That is nothing to worry about. Let me give you the heavy-duty one. Good. And I'm quoting. Yes. Likely, that seems to be the operative word in this sentence, likely penetrating ulcer of the right common iliac artery, diameter 2.35. Okay. That is something something to worry about. Now, what is a penetrating ulcer? The cholesterol buildup in an artery can be one of two things or three things. Mm-hmm. It can be smooth with a firm covering, okay? That's called the cap, C-A-P, of the plaque. Um, or it can be uh, have a thin cap, okay? So the inside of the, of the cholesterol buildup is gooey. Um, it, you know, it, it's like paste or even more, more thin than that. So the cap is thin, and it, it's not covering that pasty stuff with as much material. If you have a thick cap, it's like sealed off. Mm-hmm. If you have a thin cap, it means that, you know, it can burst. And believe it or not, when it bursts, that's when the trouble happens. 
because the inside of that of that uh, cholesterol buildup is what clots. Now, in ulcer forms, when the cap breaks and you get a deep divot in the plaque, so it's it it's got a uh, inner inner side of it where stuff can get in it. Okay, a penetrating ulcer means it goes all the way to the inside of the artery. And a penetrating ulcer can lead to clotting, and it can also lead to little bits of cholesterol breaking off and going downstream. I used to see this a lot before the statins came on board. Right. Because the, we had nothing to treat the plaques, these ulcers. Right. And there was a type of rash in the legs that we called cholesterol emboli. And you don't see that much anymore because we have statins. So talk to your either vascular surgeon or your primary care doctor for that matter and see if you can get your cholesterol down as low as it can go. Yep. It is. And it already uh, is. What number is it? LDLs in the 50s, HDLs well over 100. Okay. I'm so, out of range on both of them. Okay. So let me just say this, and I'm not going to talk about you personally. Let me talk about me. My LDL was 178. I got it down to 130. That's high. Yeah. And um, I had some plaques. Okay, so I went on a third cholesterol medication. My LDL is 11. And I'm talking 11, not 111. Yeah. 11. And my plaques have gone away just about. So the old concept. I'm sorry, go ahead. The fact that it said likely, my first. Yeah, likely means it's there. I mean, you know, if if it looks like, yeah, if it looks like it, it means it's there. And even if it's not a true ulcer going all the way in, um, you got plaque there and the cap is not smooth. You can tell the difference between a thick, smooth cap and a thin cap that isn't, you know, regular. It's obviously not um, smooth. And what I'm trying to say is the old way of thinking about what a normal level is in somebody who has plaque and has buildup, throw that out the window. The lower, the better. And I'm not kidding. Um, I have patients whose LDLs are four, not 104, not 94. Because they had a cholesterol level of 70 and built up plaque. So... When you hear your level is normal, it, it can be not normal for you. And I mean the royal you. I'm not talking about your case in particular. So if you have plaque and your cholesterol is a certain level and that plaque may be growing yeah. or ulcerating or breaking off in the cognoscenti, and that's the, that means the experts in lipid management and cardiovascular disease are now pushing those levels way down. Right. Now, the way we knew, know that this is safe, how do we know this is safe? Because in the old days, we were taught that a low cholesterol level caused cancer. Well, that's just not true. Okay. That is just absolutely false. Yes. You can't have a low enough LDL or you can't have a too low LDL. Okay. And the reason why we know this is one of the medicines that we use and that I take to get mine down to 11 came from a woman who walked into her doctor's office and got cholesterol tests and her cholesterol was three. Her LDL was three. 
And so they, you know, went nuts and they, you know, put her in CAT scans and, you know, took biopsies of her acne and looking for cancer. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with this woman. Yeah. Nothing. Zip. Yeah. Healthy. And then they looked at her grandpa and her dad and her everyone and everybody had a cholesterol of four. Mm-hmm. Not a single one of them had ever had a heart problem. Not a sing- And they, they looked at these, you know, scans like you've had. Zero cholesterol buildup. Zero. Yeah. Not nada yeah and so i'm telling you i focus on the level and the degree of disease so let me tell i had a guy i talked about on the show he came in no cholesterol buildup uh stress test negative no calcium in the arteries right 80 years old you know didn't smoke no family history and his ldl was 160 okay and so he said what medicine should i take dr we none yeah. So what I'm saying is the level that we talk about for the population and the level we talk about for somebody, quote unquote, with coronary artery disease, just throw it out the window. OK, the level should be what is right for you. And if you have a lot of plaque and the plaque is growing and your LDL is, quote unquote, at target, it ain't at target. It is not. You know, move got, the target. Yeah. Move it lower. And, and the thing that, that this illustrates is everything in medicine is that we're not all the same. We're, you know, our DNA is different. Yeah. I mean, you know, the DNA of the guy who uh, shot the gun right. is not your DNA. That's right. right? You're going to be proved not innocent right. because your DNA doesn't match the DNA on the gun. Yeah. And it's the same thing with disease. Your DNA... And your background, what you got from mommy and daddy, is different from Dave's. Right. Okay. Dave, let's give Dave and I an example. Okay. Oh no. Oh, just I eat. I eat like, you know what? I mean, yeah, I have yeah. Cheez-Its for breakfast. Huh? Uh, for lunch, I'm going to have a ho ho. Yeah. And for dinner, I'm going to have lard sam a lard sandwich. Sure. On white bread. Right. With a Coca-Cola. If I did that to Dave, he'd no, be in a coma I would. tomorrow with a uh, sugar level of 1,000, and mine's going to be 80. And um, that's just the way the world is. It's unfair, <laughs> you know, but we're not all equal. So the penetrating, possible penetrating ulcer needs to be treated so it doesn't turn into a worse ulcer. Now, what did you say the size of? I'm sorry. What, what did you say the size of your aneurysm was? And your is this is belly aneurysm, uh, abdominal? The aneurysms in the right iliac artery. Okay, so right that iliac artery. Okay, so that is a, a, a aneurysm that at this point in time doesn't need to be fixed, but it needs to be watched carefully. Correct. Be, and 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 the measurements need to be watched, and when it reaches a certain size. Then if the doctor says fix it, get it fixed. Because the way they fix these now is not necessarily cutting you open. Um, they have these things called covered stents, which are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're folded up on a rolled up on a balloon, um, and then they put the balloon in the iliac artery and they inflate it. Yeah, and then they leave. It's basically putting a new artery in from the inside out. And so it sounds like you're getting excellent care. And I, I don't want to give you the idea that I'm telling you what to do or diagnosing you because I'm not. But what I'm saying is that our way of thinking has changed about the level of LDL and that it should correlate with the level of disease. So the more cholesterol buildup you have, yeah. 
the lower your LDL should be. And there's no such thing as a too low LDL. It can't get too low, okay? And so that's the education that I would give people today. Let me ask you one last question. Sure, anything you want. Considering this as likely, wouldn't you think it would be appropriate to get some kind of uh, confirmation reading by an alternate technique, like tomography or something? Yeah, you could do that, um, but let me tell you why I don't wouldn't necessarily order that in my patient Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't change my therapy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, uh, I don't know if they have you on some blood thinners or some anticoagulants to prevent clots from forming. Um, I would, if it were my patient, I'd focus on that no matter, you know, if there's a quote unquote confirmation study or not, because even the suggestion of it means you've got a lot of plaque there. And then if I had a patient like you with that similar finding, I would try to get their cholesterol down to four. Um, and, and plaque regression work, it, it does happen. What does I mean? What do I mean? There's something called plaque stabilization, and that's when the cap gets thick again. Yeah. And the inside of the plaque um, doesn't tend to burst out. That's called plaque stabilization. That's good. Mm-hmm. Because it prevents uh, heart attacks, uh, because there's no clot reaching the inner goo of that plaque. But plaque regression, which means the plaque goes away, yeah, that happens too, and that happens much more than we used to think. And the reason why is we never were um, uh, brave enough to get that cholesterol down as right. low as possible, because we had this false assumption that it could be too low. Right. Bob, thank you, and I appreciate your call. We'll pick up with David in Raleigh in just a moment. This is Heart Health Radio. We are shouting out David in Raleigh. David, thank you very much for calling and being a part of today's show. How you doing? Oh, getting along pretty good. Pretty good, good. guys. What's going on? Actually, I'm... Co- I'm actually calling for my wife. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, she is currently on uh, some medication for controlling a rapid heartbeat and PVCs. Okay. And she's been recently diagnosed as having some osteoporosis uh, going on. So uh, I guess she's looking at, she's probably going to have to start taking Fosamex now. Where's the osteoporosis? You'd... Back. Hips. Back, I reckon. Yeah, just, yeah. well, that's okay. okay. She's got it. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, she's she's heard something about Fosamex can cause an increase in TVC. You're right. So she's already got that as a problem. You're right. Is it can. going to make things. Well, uh, is Fosamex going to make things worse for? Well, it, not necessarily. Um, it is one of those things that um, can happen. Uh, there was it was a study that seven. A uh, hundred women who had taken Fosamax um, were slightly likely, I'm sorry, slightly more likely to develop PVCs. And what does that mean? Um, probably out of the 700, there were two more, okay? Um, you'd expect one and they got three. So 700 people out of normally just take 700 people off the street, one's going to have a PVC. So if you took Fasamax, it was three that were going to have a PVC. So, you know, remember when they talk about 68% or 78% more likely, if you're dealing with a small number to begin with, it's still going to be a small number. 
Now, what are PVCs? Um, there are several types. The worst are caused by a heart attack. So that means that the heart around the scar has a normal electricity. And those can be dangerous because they can lead sometimes to an abnormal heartbeat that makes you really sick. Um, there are other PVCs that are, um, I wouldn't say benign because they feel weird for some people. I have them. I yeah, have PVC. Yeah. It feels like a pause and then a really strong beat that you can sort of feel your heart bounce against your chest and up on your neck. Yeah. When I was a kid, we called it baby heart attacks. <laughs> I'm having a baby heart attack, Daddy. Oh my gosh. And um, yeah, they feel weird. Mine are gone now because I'm on a low dose beta blocker. Um, the ones that aren't so bad start on the right side of the heart. The ones that are bad are on the left side of the heart. What can I? T- can you tell me what med she's taking? The name? Oh, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. Yeah, gotta take your time. What med are you taking? Uh, Diltizan. Yeah, okay. And flecainide. Perfect. So, flecainide works. Oh, by the way, are they working? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. good. Yeah, so flecainide is a, uh, what we call heavy-duty medicine, okay? And I hope she didn't read the package insert. She's got a lot of, <laughs> oh, lot of warnings. Flecainide came out. And it was advertised, flecainide, the PVC killer. (laughs) And it did. And it does um, for most people. And the problem is that people had heart attacks. Yeah, the PVCs went away, but they went away too. I'm kidding. There was a higher risk in somebody with a weak heart or a heart attack type heart taking flecainide than not taking flecainide. And so there's a black box warning and the package insert, you know, basically says, uh, this could cause worsening arrhythmias and kill you. That's only for people with bad hearts. The amazing thing about flecainide is it's probably the most effective and the safest for people who have good hearts and have the type of PVC that your wife seems to have because they've also got her on diltiazem. And diltiazem works for those benign type PVCs that are in the right side of the heart that are just because it's like a muscle spasm. There's an area of the heart that can just spasm, like you have an eye twitch. And so um, it sounds like you got some great docs involved because those are two medicines that I use a lot. I always try diltiazem first, um, but some people can't tolerate it. It can cause constipation in rare cases. Um, It can lower blood pressure. Some people take it for blood pressure. But flecainide, man, that's good stuff. And flecainide's also good for people with good hearts who have any kind of arrhythmia. So if you have AFib, if you have uh, SVT, which are different types of electrical disturbances. But, you know, if I had a patient similar to your wife's who had bone loss, uh, osteoporosis, I wouldn't worry about the use of Foxamax. Now, make sure there may be some special considerations with her and check it out with your um uh, regular physician, but as a general statement, um, the risk of Fosamax causing more PVCs is pretty darn low. It's If you take Fosamax, you have more PVCs than you would expect, but the number of people who get them is still, who would have more is, is pretty small. David, thank you. That is all the time we have. This has been Heart Health Radio.